It can be difficult and pricey for small business owners to get loans to finance improvements and expansions, and it's even tougher for small businesses located in low-income areas. This week's podcast guest is Brad McConnell, CEO at Allies for Community Business in Chicago. He'll discuss his group's new approach to gauging credit risk and why he believes lending to entrepreneurs and underserved communities is good business and that it's also the right thing to do. Actionable insights can help power smart decisions. Each week, the BAI Banking Strategies podcast focuses on important issues facing financial services leaders, as well as the emerging trends that are rapidly reshaping the financial industry. I'm Terry Badger, your host and the managing editor at BAI. Pull up a chair and join us. Getting access to capital can be a challenge for small business owners in lower income communities. And a big part of that challenge is the way lenders assess the credit risk of these would-be borrowers. Joining us on this week's podcast is Brad McConnell, CEO of Allies for Community Business. A4CB, as it's known for short, is a nonprofit, community-based organization in Chicago that looks at credit risk in a different way. So Brad, thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Terry. Happy to be here. So Brad, can you start by giving us a brief overview of Allies for Community Business? Maybe tell us a little bit about your mission, who you serve, and the scale of what you provide. Yes, Allies for Community Business supports small businesses that strengthen communities. We provide the capital and the coaching and the collaboration that entrepreneurs need to succeed. As a nonprofit located on Chicago's west side, we prioritize Black, Hispanic, Latinx, women, and low-income entrepreneurs throughout the Chicagoland area and beyond. We serve all of Illinois and Indiana, but have a very particular focus on those underserved communities. Allies for Community Business has been a community lender for some years, and, and starting this year, you've changed how you assess the credit risk of your borrowers. So how did you used to measure credit risk pre-2021, and how do you do it now? For our first 27 years, we evaluated credit in a way that's very similar to what a uh, traditional financial institution would do. And we found that that just wasn't good enough in trying to get to yes to small business owners in the communities that we seek to serve. So we've rethought that completely. And in 2021 and thereafter, we're now evaluating people in a much more streamlined, rules-based manner that is based on the habits of the small business owner. And so we're particularly looking for three specific things that will allow us to judge is this person likely to repay or not? And those three things are not based on the neighborhood you come from, the wealth that you have, and so forth. It's instead based on the evidence that you've provided that you take on debt responsibly. So those three things are, one, have you avoided bankruptcy over the last two years and charge us over 500 bucks? Two, over the last 12 months, have you repaid on time for all of that you've taken out that's shown in your credit report. And three, you have at least 25% availability on your outstanding lines as they stand at the moment so that you're not just borrowing from us to go repay somebody else. So that's a pretty simple test you've devised, just those three things. And for the borrower, a very limited time period being looked at, particularly when you compare it to all of the data that goes into a standard credit score. So what makes you confident that those three bits of information are enough to strike that balance between wanting to get to yes on a loan and at the same time, 
protecting your lending capital. This is largely based on our experience over the last several years. And we were just, I think, doing exactly what I described that we're doing now, but we're doing it informally. So our underwriters would look at each individual loan application and essentially look for these patterns. And then there'd be the added sort of ask for one more bit of information, ask one more question, which, as we found in our analysis, didn't really add much to our predictive ability. And so instead of doing it that way, which is slower, less of a good experience for the applicants and so forth, we've just taken what we were doing and codified it and made it much more efficient and electronic so that we can, in a repeatable way, in a transparent way, do what I just described and do it really quickly in order to provide quick turnaround to the applicants so that then we can provide a much better client experience. That's how you do it. Now the why. What prompted you to change your approach to gauging creditworthiness of your borrowers? And why did you do it now? Did the pandemic, for instance, did that figure into your decision in any way? There's a lot to this. But briefly, first, we decided to stop using credit score and instead go underneath that to the raw data on the credit report because credit score includes some things that we don't care about. And just for example, you have a medical emergency that means that you ended up having some either bankruptcy three years ago or trouble paying your debts because of that singular event in your life. We don't consider that to be indicative of habits and future ability to repay. And so we don't want any of that to be influencing our decision making. So instead of using the black box of the credit score, we just don't do that anymore. And then in a similar but in many respects different way, we used to look at the value of the personal assets as a way to calculate a loan-to-value ratio. And it's just a fact that if you have the exact same house on the south side of Chicago, and you pick that house up and move it to the north side of Chicago into a wealthier neighborhood, the house is identical, but the value of that house on the south side is far less because the value of the dirt is less. And that's because of decades and decades and decades of redlining and other predatory behavior. And we as a mission-driven organization who seek to serve entrepreneurs of color just simply aren't going to any longer allow that to be any factor whatsoever in our evaluation of somebody's ability to repay and at what amount. So yes, the pandemic, the problems that we were seeking to help entrepreneurs solve for throughout the entirety of the year last year were influential in our decision-making as to moving now to do something different, particularly since we were working at such high volume in a really sort of crisis atmosphere. But it has been building, even before the pandemic, for us to just continue to be looking at what really matters here. And what does it mean to be a true mission-driven lender to try to serve underserved communities? I know it's only been a couple of months since you made this change, but what are the early results that you're seeing on how it might be helping you fulfill your mission. Yeah, it is early. And so I don't want to overlearn from what really in the end will turn out to be, I think, initial anecdotal evidence, but I can make a couple observations. The first is that just as a matter of assessing the demand for our services, there's no doubt that we've already observed that being transparent, clear, easy to understand, rules-based, putting every word of your credit policy on your website, that makes a big difference. And we've seen a huge spike 
in the number of applications that we've received relative to what we would have expected otherwise. Now, clearly there's noise in that because of the period of time we're talking about right now where business is preparing to reopen and there's now a greater appetite than there was before. So it's difficult to sort of disentangle those effects, no doubt. But that's certainly one notable thing that we've seen over the last couple of months. And the second thing I'll suggest is that we've already seen a difference in the tenor of the relationship that we're building from day one with a small business owner, who either we knew before because we provide the free coaching that we provide, but they may have known of us and didn't decide to apply for whatever reason before. I think we're showing the respect that we have for community business owners who've been told no over and over again in many cases, who've been seeking capital through traditional channels. And the way that we're doing this now, I think, embeds that degree of respect into the relationship from the first minute that somebody's either applying with us or asking for our advice first before applying. And that matters. That relationship building really matters. We can see the effects of that already. Over the past year or so, many financial services providers have have made public statements about making more money available in under-resourced, underserved communities across the country. So Brad, your base of operations is on the west side of Chicago in the heart of one of those underserved communities. You know, you're living it every day. What is A4CB seeing in terms of how those commitments are being converted into action? It's a good question. And I think the honest answer is that it's mixed in our observation. So I'm going to say something a little heretical here, perhaps. And that is that I, I don't think that it's necessarily the case that a financial institution who really cares about, in our case, serving the west and south sides of Chicago, need to start putting branches on every block. Having physical branches matters. It's a positive community, no doubt, because it's a vote of confidence. It gives a physical manifestation of opportunity for somebody to be able to walk in and talk to people live about their financial needs. But I do think that additive to that, a financial institution who is seeking to make their dollars move from where they are, usually downtown, right, to the neighborhoods where they are needed, that can be done without physical infrastructure all over the place and instead can be done through investing in organizations like us and others who know how to move money from where it is to where it's needed really efficiently. So in that way, we've seen a significant increase amongst a number of institutions and the dollars that they're willing to invest at very low rates in organizations like us in order for us to go off and do what we do, which also, I think, creates a higher degree of accountability for us, which I welcome because people make bigger investments. They have bigger sort of demands for transparency and accountability and for results. And again, I think that's great. So it pushes us to do more, it allows us to do more, and to do it better, and everybody wins in that case. Earlier in our conversation here, you mentioned fintech firms. Small business borrowers have been targeted as a niche opportunity by a number of fintech firms, and part of their pitch is that they are democratizing, lowercase d, the lending process. So are, are you seeing fintechs at work in your core areas? And if you are, how are they doing loans compared to how you do loans? And, and if you're not seeing it, why do you think you're not seeing it? We absolutely are seeing it uh, and have done for a long time. This definitely predates the pandemic. I think the data that is available on this through particularly the 
Federal Reserve Small Business Credit Survey, it's clear that business owners are increasingly seeking the ease of financing online as a way to combat how hard it can be for someone to find financing in their own neighborhood. But there's downsides to that, clearly. And so the biggest part of that is on price, where sure, you can get capital quickly, but you're going to pay an awful lot for it. But to be super transparent about what I'm saying here, I think that's true and don't know that's true. Because as we all know, there is no such thing as a Truth in Lending Act for small businesses, unlike on the personal lending side. So our observations are that what the fintech-backed lenders are doing is just, they're, they're basically just taking advantage of as much big data as available and using that to feed their algorithms to make decisions in a way that's more sophisticated than just asking a couple of things and hoping you can draw everything you need from the credit report. So in some respects, that is democratizing. And in other respects, it's actively harmful. So let's just take as one of many, many examples. If you're pulling education data and saying that because you went to Harvard, it's more likely you're going to pay than if you went to community college. Well, like that's using big data. It's being more sort of creative than it would be than if you're just sort of looking at somebody's credit report. But is that helping underserved populations? I'm not sure that it is. So based on your experience, what do you think banks and other capital providers need to know to truly be effective in their efforts in communities like the West Side and the South Side of Chicago? Well, first, there clearly is a need to understand demand in a way that is much more sophisticated than I think it's typically understood as it sits at the moment. So there's no substitute for just meeting with people and asking them what they're going through and what they need. Um, but that clearly needs to be complemented with quantitative data that is more precise. And so we're trying our best to do that in our portion of the world, particularly in Chicago. But I think if I'm a large lender and I'm seeking to make good decisions about how to really do true community investments, you just need to know in a much more nuanced manner than I think most do today. In fact, I would say that than all do today on exactly what the demand is and how best then to shape some form of supply for that demand. So that's number one. Number two is then to have a much more thorough understanding of what's available in the marketplace. And that gets back to correcting the regulatory gap that we currently face nationally and just not understanding like what data is available and what people are charging. And like that's a congressional fix, which is long overdue. But three, once you're a financial institution who understands the demand and you understand the competition in the marketplace, then you got to deliver. You got to take that information and then make offerings that really do suit the needs of a business owner who's working in low-income community, but who has a really good idea, has incredible gifts and hard work that'll apply to that. And they want to get it done and they want to create wealth and jobs in their community, but just need the assistance to do so. Allies for Community Business also offers financial coaching services to small business. You made a quick reference to that earlier. Tell us a bit, if you can, about what your coaching entails and how it fits with your lending program. I mean, is it a, a required add-on if somebody has a loan out from you, for instance? Yeah, we've learned over the years that this is crucial for our ability to meet our vision further our mission, because it's just simply not enough 
for us to be really good at providing small dollar loans to business owners who need it. Business owners typically, although not always, just need or at a minimum would really value a lot more than that. And so the coaching we provide is one-on-one, free, based on our staff in-house, where we listen first, we then assess the needs of the business based on what we heard, what the business owner is trying to achieve, and then we construct with that business owner a milestone-driven, date-focused plan of action that helps to then put in place what we consider to be like the core building blocks of a successful business. And if you're just starting out, it's all the usual stuff like get a uh, segregated business bank account, get your insurance, get your legal uh, entity constructed properly, get your licensing and so forth. But a lot of businesses we work with are well beyond that. And now they're looking at optimizing and growing. And so the coaching we provide for those businesses looks quite differently as it should. And so we focus instead on things like, how do we optimize your revenues such that you can sell to larger and potentially even fewer customers while keeping your cost base the same and on and on and on. And we finally, we also consider our coaching to be essentially serving as a risk mitigant where when we make loans in a way that I've described earlier is different, unique in in some ways, we're taking risks clearly and having good relationships with the small business owners that we're lending to and providing them good advice on how to use that capital we provided and handling all the other issues that arise over time helps to make it more likely they're going to pay us back. Let's talk about Chicago for a second. You know, it's a unique place in a lot of ways. So is Chicago a good lab for the rest of the country on this approach to small business lending? Are the things that you learn here that you're learning, are they transferable? Are they applicable, not only in other big cities, but also in smaller cities and more rural areas as well? I think so. So first, Chicago is a fascinating place. I'm you know, completely biased on that, full stop. But it has the volume to try out a bunch of things at scale because there's so many community business owners. And it also has, I think, the diversity of in every single way you can think about that, right? So race, ethnicity, gender, geography, and so forth. But also it has a traditionally disaggregated financial landscape. We're not sort of concentrated in financial terms in the way that many, many other cities are for longstanding like historical regulatory reasons. And so we have an opportunity to learn a lot about what works and what doesn't for black, for Hispanic, and for majority, you know, sort of you know, just standard white neighborhoods, prominently white neighborhoods, and apply those lessons then. So our belief is that things we learn here are absolutely applicable in other places, either other urban centers or in rural areas, because we're trying to provide the services in a way that is highly effective and highly sort of scalable because we're using technology in both our capital and our coaching to facilitate our work. So Brad, as a community-based not-for-profit, you have a significantly different operating model than a for-profit bank would have, obviously. But that said, what can banks learn from how you at A4CB think about credit, how you think about lending, and, and maybe even how you think about community? On the credit evaluation side, it goes without saying that one of the main reasons why large financial institutions don't do small dollar loans is because it's uneconomic to do so. So it makes sense, right? We're trying to prove 
is that it's not nearly as uneconomic as everyone thinks it is. And so we're trying to drive down the unit costs of doing a small dollar loan, while at the same time continuing to say yes as often as possible, while at the same time keeping our price very low. So typically, like therein lies the problem because you can't do all those things at the same time and have that even break even, let alone earn the profits that are necessary in order to make that a business proposition that makes sense. So we're trying to work at all of those variables at the same time. And all of the lessons that we're drawing, we're absolutely going to be offering to bigger financial institutions. We do not consider all of this proprietary in any way. And this is we're a community-driven organization, nonprofit, and therefore we want to ex- sort of explore as at scale as we can all the lessons that we're learning. And so we'll give it away, all these lessons as we can develop them. On the community side, I think it really is harder because it requires being with people, physically present. And it's not hard to do on a one-on-one basis, but it's awfully hard to do at scale in a way that's cost-efficient. So that kind of work then, I think, is a much tougher thing for a traditional financial institution to get right because you either put a whole bunch of people in place, a whole bunch of structure in place, and just know they're going to eat those costs and just hopefully do that for a period of time that you continue to do, but you got to just understand that you got to subsidize that for a very, very long time. Or you try to do it in the low-cost manner where it's sort of a couple people spreading themselves around, and that tends to be ineffective. So very difficult because it's uneconomic to do, but it's absolutely the right thing to do, and it's crucial to do for the reputation of each organization that cares about community and community development. And so really the mentality needs to be this is an investment that is not economic at all, but rather is an investment for reputational purposes that we really want to and need to do in order to make sure the communities that we care about are well-served. And that's just a different way to think about it. I would think that if you're able to show how to make the economics of small business lending work, particularly lending in these underserved areas, many financial providers will be ready to listen to what you've learned. So Brad McConnell, CEO of Allies for Community Business, thanks again for sharing your ideas with us on the BAI Banking Strategies podcast. Really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for the time. A few takeaways from our conversation with Brad McConnell from Allies for Community Business. First, A4CB used to assess credit risk in a fashion similar to other financial services providers, but they changed it up starting this year. Now, instead of using credit scores and other standard metrics, they ask three basic questions to determine the likelihood that the borrower repays. Have you avoided bankruptcy for the past two years? Have you been paying your bills on time for a year? And do you have 25% capacity in your current credit lines? A big part of the thinking is that Brad and his colleagues believe that a person's credit score can overemphasize factors that don't reflect their ability and willingness to repay small business loans. This is particularly the case, he says, in lower income communities, and that this is a sizable contributor to the historic difficulties that aspiring small business owners have had in getting access to capital at a reasonable price. And finally, Allies for Community Business is also working to counter the idea inside many banks that small business lending isn't worth the trouble, given the small dollar amounts involved. They're out to prove that the economics can be more attractive than the naysayers think, and if successful, more capital may flow to these smaller enterprises. And if A4CB lands on a winning formula, they'll be happy to share it with other lenders. 
Thanks for listening to this week's BAI Banking Strategies podcast. I'm Terry Badger, Managing Editor at BAI. Please join us again next time for another conversation on a topic important to the financial services industry.